The New Testament reading today is the account of the first Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts. With today and kind of meandering through the rest of the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a series on all the words that the Bible uses that are attached to new, new commandment, new song today, new healing, new name, and on and on it'll go. But today we have new song and the gift of this Pentecost text. When the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is no denying the power of song. Music has a way of capturing our memory and our energy. Songs can create unlikely connections. It doesn't take long for a song to resurface back into our lives again. When you hear this, Sing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're good. That's good. It took the the first two uh, services a long time to, to catch up with that. You're better. You can tell them that. No, but when you hear that, you don't need prompting. You don't need a bulletin or a screen with words. Or how about this? To the world the Lord is come. Let earth receive her. Exactly. Don't ever let it be said. I don't let you sing a Christmas carol before Christmas. Right there you go. 
The power of song, of course, is not limited to church. How about take me out to the ball game, take me out to the crowd, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack, I don't care if I ever give, exactly. <laughs> Play ball. <laughs> a month ago, I was in the car and a song came on that began a long, long time ago. And indeed, it was a number one song a long time ago, back when I was in middle school, in fact. It holds the distinction of being the longest song at eight and a half minutes ever to top the Billboard chart. I was surprised to find that instantly I was singing along with this 40-year-old song. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And then good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye, singing, this'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. I don't know what it says that you seem to sing that more than Amazing Grace. We'll just go <laughs> on from there. It's one thing to finally remember billboard hits, to sing along with them in your car or while you're running or on the treadmill or doing errands. Then there's the opportunity, though, to tap deep into the roots of the songs of our faith when we most need them in our lives. These songs of faith have the power to lead us to praise God even in the most difficult of situations. And that praise somehow both changes things and changes us. There are the songs that led our country together to resist injustice. Lift every voice and sing. We shall not be moved. And this. that's not just memorizing some historical relic or a favorite song. These words lead us right into God's bedrock promises when we need them most. In our technologically advanced, enlightened, connected, yet isolated world, a simple truth needs to be said. God calls us back to life through the songs of our faith. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont tells of her restless years of struggle, even as she was beginning to find a home in a small Christian church. The key turning point takes place as she was at a flea market in Sausalito one Sunday morning. She writes, if I happened to be there between 11 and 1 on Sundays, I could hear gospel music coming from a church right across the street. It was called St. Andrew Presbyterian. It looked homely and impoverished. A ramshackle building with a cross on top, sitting on a small, small parcel of land with just a few skinny pine trees. But the music wafting out was so pretty, I couldn't help but stop and listen 
I knew a lot of hymns from the times I went to church with my grandparents and from the albums we had as spirituals. Finally, I began stopping in at St. Andrew about once a month, standing in the doorway to listen to the songs. I couldn't believe how run down the place was. The linoleum tile was brown, and the stained glass windows were overshined and plastic. But it had a choir of five black women and one rather Amish-looking man making all this glorious noise and a congregation of about 30 people or so radiating such kindness and warmth. During the time when people hugged and greeted each other, various people would come back to where I stood to shake my hand or try to hug me. I was as frozen and stiff as Richard Nixon. After this, the minister would preach, and that would be enough to send me running back to the sanctuary of the flea market. I went back to St. Andrews from time to time. No one tried to con me into sitting down and staying. I always left before the sermon. I love singing, even about Jesus. I just didn't want to be preached at about him. Something inside me that was stiff and rotting began to become feeling soft and tender. Somehow the singing wore down the distinctions that had kept me isolated, sitting there, standing with them to sing, sometimes so shaky and sick I thought I would tip over. I felt like I was being taken care of, that I was being tricked into coming back to life. Songs of faith have the power to move us and restore us And these songs teach us our faith. These songs give us essential instruction about what it's like to follow Jesus. Our lives are so often murky. They are so often full of challenges. Somehow as we sing our faith, God's promises can become true again. So what happened at Pentecost? What really happened there? On a day not long after Easter, with the fearful and the faithful and the trying to be faithful followers of Jesus all gathered together, they were all completely disarmed and taken by surprise by the gift of God's powerful, enlivening spirit, a spirit and an event that they did not choose, did not plan, and could not have expected. People began acting so strangely that some thought them drunk. Dozens of different languages were spoken and everyone heard and understood everything. So what happened at Pentecost? We can clearly see that Pentecost was God's unruly disruption of our seemingly ordered lives. 
And yet somehow, Pentecost was way more than just a disruption. The chaos of Pentecost drove everyone who was there deeper with God. There is a reason Pentecost is displayed as wind and fire, two unruly, untamable, dangerous, but life-giving elements. We don't know what exactly what happened at Pentecost. What we do know is that this fearful, anxious group of followers of Jesus were fundamentally different, bold, courageous, risk-taking after Pentecost in a way they never were before. Today, our culture so encourages us in almost every way to stay on the surface, just stay on the surface. Today, we are encouraged all to listen to our own music, kind of with our own individual earphones. Pentecost brought everyone together and drove everyone deeper. Rather than all of us blithely singing to our own songs in our own individual sound cloud, What if God's unruly disruption of Pentecost began by bringing us together? Pentecost was a miracle. It was a miracle of speaking and hearing. It was a miracle. People began to do together what they would not or could not have done on their own. Pentecost didn't obliterate individuality, individual gifts, experiences, insights, paths. But God's Spirit at Pentecost took this collection of tired, scared, scattered, distracted, opinionated individuals and made them community and made them bold and made them hopeful and made them courageous and filled them with life. That's what happened at Pentecost. Richard Rohr has said every sacrament, every Bible, every church service, every song, every bit of priesthood and ceremony and liturgy is, as far as I'm concerned, for one purpose, to allow you to experience your true self, who you are in God and who God is in you. Only healthy religion is prepared to point you beyond the mere psychological self to the cosmic, to the universal, to the absolute. Only great religion is prepared to realign, reheal, reconnect, and reposition you inside the family of things, as Mary Oliver had said.
the day of Pentecost was the day God gave the Holy Spirit to the church. This wasn't a new spirit invented for the occasion. This was the spirit of the risen Christ who promised to never, ever, ever leave us. Pentecost was the miracle of belonging. Being given that feeling of belonging, they were able to conquer their fears and move out and move out boldly into a world of love and service. At Pentecost, the people of God fell in love with the sound of God. Did each person at Pentecost simply hear their own language spoken? Or perhaps did they hear their own song in their own genre, in their own style, with their own beat? It seems like they did. But it also seems like everyone's individual song became God's communal song. After the death of Maya Angelou two years ago, poet Elizabeth Alexander wrote, I never met Maya Angelou face to face, but I have a story. When I was named President Obama's inaugural poet after his 2008 election, Ms. Angelou called me on the telephone, the second poet to read for a presidential inaugural, calling the fourth, her sense of history and of community fully evident in the gesture. Before she said her name, I recognized her voice, lustrous, deliberate, precise, the diction well known to me from countless elders. Though by her own account, she was not a great singer, her voice was filled with a singer's coloration as well as the captivating, unchaste pace of someone used to commanding attention, a star. She spoke in the rich chest voice of a grandmother singing a song at bedtime. Did she call me child, Alexander writes? I felt like she did, for her words and voice drew me close. I was attempting to write the inaugural poem, agonizing, spinning in the thickets with the task at hand. We spoke for a good long while. I don't remember the substance of what she said, only the even reassuring tone of her voice that made this task for the first time seem possible. And then Maya Angelou said these words, Honey, if you have a song to sing, who are you not to open your mouth and sing it to the world? Can you imagine a world without song? I fear I can imagine a world where everyone is simply singing their own song in their own sound bubble. 
Can you imagine, though, this congregation and every community of faith leading the world in God's song? What if, what if all our songs, those from Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and all those from Billie Holiday and Miles Davis and Frank Sinatra and Nina Simone and Darlene Love and Bruce Springsteen and Jesse Norman and Kiri Takanawa and Prince and Casey Musgraves and U2 and The Beatles and Willie Nelson and Questlove and Lin-Manuel Miranda. What if all those songs were mixed with our songs of pain and our songs of doubt and our songs of faithfulness and hope and mixed with the sound of the songs of the Psalms, and all those were mixed with the songs of our prayers, and all those mixed with the song, the harmony, the symphony of hope and life and boldness and courage that God's Spirit gave to us at Pentecost. Can you imagine a world without song? I fear that I can imagine a world where we're all just singing our individual songs in our own individual sound bubbles. Can you imagine the women and men and girls and boys of Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church leading the world in God's song? The Spirit can. God's Holy Spirit can imagine exactly that.